0: Mentality Media presents the Mike and Mo Show. Now here are your hosts, Mike Calandrillo and Maurice Moton. Here we are, back again, the Mike and Mo Show. I'm Mike Calandrillo, he's Maurice Moton. And this is episode 17. We are uh, locked and loaded, ready to hit you with everything that's going on in the world of sports. But before we do, we want to take a moment just to, uh, to acknowledge the passing of the great Muhammad Ali. Um, he did pass away at the age of 74 this past week. Uh, not only was he an amazing heavyweight fighter, heavyweight champion of the world, he was a humanitarian. He was a man who changed the way that this country will forever respond and, and look at race relations. He did so much for so many people that you can't really be measured, and uh, he was so sick for so long that unfortunately he was out of of our our thoughts and, and and you know on a daily basis. But his passing is and will be felt for a very very long time in in everyone's eyes, and uh, I know personally that you know we didn't get to watch him growing up because you know we're we're much younger, but uh, you know just watching those fantastic fights of way back when and then watching the documentaries and, and everything and hearing stories from your relatives about what this man meant to you know, boxing, let alone you know, people of the nineteen sixties, seventies, eighties, everything that he did was just was enormous and, and he will be he will be greatly missed. Yes, absolutely.
1: We'll actually go back into Muhammad Ali's life and career at the end of the show because it just doesn't do it justice For us to just mention him at the beginning for a couple of minutes. We'll talk more about him and also a ultimate fighting legend, Kimbo Slice, and we'll talk about the relationship between boxing and now USC fighting and one-on-one competition in sports. But we're going to start off today with the NBA Finals We'll dig into the New York Knicks situation A lot was said, Phil Jackson had a lot to say this week and last week uh, Obviously Hornacek was introduced officially as the head coach We'll talk about the Sixers and We'll talk a lot of MLB on the negative side as far as brawls and injuries And we'll touch on a little bit of NFL from the logistics standpoint But we're going to go back into the NBA Finals Game 3 is tonight A lot of people are burying the Cleveland Cavaliers very prematurely, I may add. I said this on Facebook a while ago. Um, People are very fickle. Yes, Golden State blew out Cleveland in the first two games, but it was on their own home floor. They basically defended their court, which is what they should do. Cleveland is undefeated at home. Yes, Kevin Love is out tonight for game three with a concussion, but I believe this helps Cleveland in a way. Just hear me out on this one. Cleveland gave Golden State a lot of issues when they played defensively. They played a more methodical approach, and they relied more on their defense rather than their scoring and shooting. So I think it's a good thing that Tristan Thompson gets more minutes. I'm not too high on Richard Jefferson. I made a joke earlier about him getting more minutes than Mon Shumpert at his advanced age. Jefferson is, is I believe, 35 years old. But he'll, it looks like he's going to be in the starting lineup for Kevin Love. And, again, like I said, I think it favors – Cleveland to have Tristan Thompson on the court more so
0: well reports are out of uh, out of Cleveland Bleacher Report reports that Kevin Love is P.O. to say the least uh he did fly with the team from Golden State slash Oakland all the way back home so obviously when if you've ever had a concussion or you've heard stories it's not good to fly the the altitude messes with someone's brain and okay so he, he flew that would that would lend you to think that he's okay to play. He actually then took took part in shoot around this afternoon as well. So for all intents and purposes as well as as team and Kevin Love were concerned, he was going to play tonight. But then all of a sudden, uh a, a couple hours before, you know, rosters were set, Kevin Love's name was nowhere to be found. So he is quite quite confused as am I and I think as are many people who feel that this team needed Kevin Love now I know you you just made a good point about Tristan Thompson and I feel like he's been one of the lone bright spots for this Cavalier team but I definitely think losing a guy like Kevin Love who you know had a huge game in game one I mean huge if we want to call 17 points huge but regardless (laughs) he only had five points last game went out so early and and The Cavaliers were lacking in so many different points uh, of their offense and and their defense. Not that Kevin Love is a fantastic defensive player, but again, he does add another big body uh, to the middle when they actually let him go down and play that power forward position. So it's going to be on Tristan Thompson, and it's going to be interesting because, Mo, you and I both said that Mr. J.R. Smith was going to be the X-Factor, and he has (laughs) been nowhere to be found, only averaging three-and-a-half three-pointers through the first two games. what What is going on with him?
1: Well, if you remember, he had a dive on the floor, and I believe he had a, a hand or a wrist injury, I believe, and, I, and Stephen A. Smith was making fun of him saying, if there's anything that th- this guy is going to do, he's going to shoot the ball. And apparently he didn't shoot that much in that game when he got hurt, I believe it was the first game. So I, I'm not giving him an out. I'm giving him excuse for the injury. But what I'm saying is that... Um, J.R. smith is not a premier player he's he's more of a niche player he's going to give you threes on one end he's going to give you some defense there's been a lot of talk about his defense up defensive upgrade this season and he's going to have to be a good player without being a major factor shooting the ball if his shot is off or if he is hampering with a with a wrist injury but again i'll say this people people are going to say well if Cleveland loses this game, it's because of Kevin Love. And I, I I'm i not buying it. I'm yeah. not giving Cleveland an, an excuse here. Sure. Because as LeBron James said in his press conference, one of these press conferences, he said, well, we won without Kevin Love. So to not have him is not like the end of the world. It's not like LeBron James is missing a game. It's not, you know, it's, it's not something, it's not new, new territory, so to speak. But I feel like Kevin Love is feeling the pressure of the media because... I feel like if Cleveland does lose, he didn't play that well this game. They're gonna nitpick him because he's basically he's the third wheel. Yeah, and I think feeling that pressure and that's where the frustration comes in. Where he really wants to play, and as a competitor, I understand that. But he he's under uh, supervision of medical doctors, and they say, well, he is not cleared, and apparently he will not be cleared as. You know, until maybe game four. So if that if that happens, it'll give them a boost. But I'm not I'm not saying the world is coming down the caps because he's not playing. Because again, like I said, I think Tristan Thompson is a better matchup for for slowing down what Golden State does as far as floor spacing.
0: I just kind of feel bad for this guy at this point. I mean, he missed last year's finals with that shoulder injury. He's out again. Can't seem to catch a break. He does seem like he's a scapegoat on this team. Uh, I mean, honestly, he was so much better when he was a number one or 1A option with with Minnesota than he's ever going to be on this team. I mean, he's just... He's not a focal point. And, of course, people are going to say, well, the way he's playing his game doesn't lend itself to being a focal point. But he played so much more... Effectively, So much more with with just emphasis. And he was all over the boards. He was all over the court. He drove to the basket. And it just seems like he settles for these open shots. And I still don't feel like that's his game. I really don't. But unfortunately, we won't be able to address anything Kevin Love related until game four. Now, what is the deal with Kyrie Irving? That is my major point of why they're down 2-0. He has been non-existent. And again, all he's doing is putting more pressure on a guy like LeBron. I mean, where, where is he going? Where has he gone?
1: I mean, he had he had some he had a decent amount of points in the first game. He didn't shoot particularly well because he only shot thirty one percent. But again, I I warn people about saying, well, you add Love and you add Kyrie and now you have a better contender in Cleveland. You gotta understand these. This is their first trip to the NBA Finals. They, it's not like they've been here before. Sure. I mean, when he when LeBron was with Miami, Wade has. Was there already? I mean, Bosch wasn't in the finals, but he had a playoff experience, and he's he's a much better player, in my opinion, than Kevin Love at this stage in his career. So you got to look at it like this: experience does play a role in this. Golden State has been here before, obviously, just last year. Kyrie and Love haven't, and I think Kyrie particularly is feeling the jitters of, of being in the spotlight on the grand stage. I don't see him struggling throughout the entire series but it could take him a while to get the ball going. He, he may need a good game three to kind of get back on track, but it, it could happen, but it may not happen for him. You got to understand Kyrie is still a young player. Without LeBron, where would the Cavaliers be with just Kyrie Irving? He's a great player, but I don't see him as a number one superstar.
0: Okay, now put your, put your coach hat on for, for just a second. I'm going to do the same right quick. The key yeah. to winning the game tonight... Or tomorrow, excuse me. The key to winning any game, three, four, five, whatever it's going to take, I feel, is to stop running these isolation plays, which is exactly what doomed Oklahoma City. They're they're attacking Iguodala, they're attacking Clay Thompson one on one, and these guys are are elite defenders. You know, if not if not really, really good, Iguadala has been an elite defender for a very long time. I mean, why not mm-hmm. spread the ball around, drive to the hoop, let Kyrie do his thing, and attack a guy like Harrison Barnes or the humble superstar and, and show their weaknesses instead of taking LeBron on Iguodala one-on-one or Della Vidova, who seems to find his himself on the court in, in very important minutes during the NBA Finals. Why would you attack the best of the best when there are weak options on the floor. You
1: you gotta look at it this way. They're they're trying okay, I don't know what Tyron Lue is trying to do. You also gotta understand this is Tyron Lue's first trip to the NBA Finals. So he it could be a matter of just him being out coached and he's trying to figure out what's the what's the best scenario for his team on the on the court. I, I would assume that LeBron's gonna get in his ear and say look this is what we're gonna do. He's gonna t- kinda take over the reins a little bit but you're asking, what are they doing? You're going to have to ask Tyron Lue that. And <laughs> before this series, Cleveland Cavaliers, they were jacking up threes. So maybe they go back to jacking up shots and not, you know, changing it up a little bit. I, I really can't tell you what's going through his mind. But if you looked into Tyron Lue's eyes at the end of game two, he had a look of confusion. Like, he didn't know what he was going to do himself. Yeah. So I see that as a huge problem. He's in there with Kerr. Kerr is not the most experienced head coach either, but he's been in this big game. He's made some tweaks to the lineup to, to get his team over the top. And eventually, I, I believe coaching is just going to just gonna bear on, on Lou, and he's, he's going to self-implode. But I, I still feel like this is still a six-game series. I, I don't believe people are giving LeBron James enough respect. He's not going to let his team go down in this week.
0: And so then would you would you lend the coaching inexperience to the lack of bench play for Cleveland? The fact that Golden State's bench is averaging forty two and a half points per game and the Cavs are averaging twenty two and a half?
1: You you gotta think of it this way too. Golden State is they're playing like a well oiled machine. I wouldn't put all the blame on Cleveland not putting the right game plan on the court. Give some credit to Golden State. Their their players are from the from the starters to the bench are playing very well. If you remember Game One, Steph and Clay. They didn't have a good game that game, and their bench really stepped up. Guys like, as you mentioned, Andre Iguodala stepped up. Leandro Barbosa has stepped up. These guys are, are playing at their utmost potential at this point in their career, so you have to give a lot of credit to Golden State right now. All the blame shouldn't go on Cleveland. It's, it's right now they're just running on all cylinders.
0: Yeah, I mean it's it's easy to to say that they shouldn't have all the blame, but they're just it just seems like they have a huge lack of communication. I mean they're not they're just in transition. They're not communicating. There's wild passes. It just doesn't seem like a team that was so on point to start this entire playoffs. I I, I don't know how they just lost it. And that's the thing is Golden State's not playing amazing. They're playing really well, but they're not playing to the point where Cleveland should have gotten blown out in games one and two
1: you're you're sort of right on that if you think <laughs> about it you No, know, because if think about it i mean sean livingston had a had a great game sure. he led the team in scoring i believe in one of these games i mean how often does that yeah happen?
0: 20 points
1: Igu- I- iguodala is playing again he's playing great defense on lebron i wouldn't call him a lebron stopper but as you said he's been one of the most underrated best defenders on ball defenders you know, in the league. And then Harrison Barnes. We talked about Harrison Barnes last series about how he's disappeared. He needs to play up to get that max deal that he's gonna want he's gonna wanna get. And he played well to begin that first that first game. So if you if you think about it, Golden State, they are playing pretty damn good right now. And you gotta get you gotta give them some credit.
0: Okay, so uh Coach Mo, do you have Golden State taking game three in Cleveland?
1: I don't. I have Cleveland winning winning this game. And people are going to be so surprised, like, oh, they did it without Kevin Love. And I think it's, I feel bad for Love because they're going to say, well, we don't need Kevin Love. Well, Cavs don't need Kevin Love. And then you're going to hear the trade room was all over again. So I feel bad for him on that front because he gets hurt and then people are going to kind of blame him anyway. So it's kind of, damn if you do, damn if you don't, Kevin Love. Yeah. Again, I have Cleveland defending their home court on this. But I'll say this: If Cleveland loses this game, <laughs> it could. I mean, I I'm still not buying the sweep, but it would seem a lot more possible at that point because you have a rookie head coach there. You got two guys with LeBron who's supposed to be his wingmen have never been in this situation, have never dealt with adversity in this postseason because Cleveland has been in control in the driver's seat throughout all the all their series in the previous rounds and now they're gonna go down 3-0 to the best regular season team in history There's no coming back from that. People are already saying they're done, but I have Cleveland getting it together. Tyron Lue and LeBron will sit down, draw up some plays, and, and make some tweaks and, and again the, the defensive help that they'll get with Kevin Love out of the lineup is gonna is gonna go well for them.
0: All right. Well, you heard it here. Maurice thinks that Kevin Love is uh, the white devil and uh, that he has no chance to help this team at any point in the playoffs. No, he's
1: not going to win either way, because if if the Cavs win this game, they'll say, oh, they don't need Kevin Love. If the Cavs lose this game, they're going to say, oh, if Kevin Love is a little is a little less soft and he he can make his way through these injuries and stop getting hurt all the time, Cleveland will have a chance. So. No matter what happens
0: tonight, Kevin Love loses. Yeah, it's it's a shame because like like he meant to get destroyed in the head by Harrison Barnes, and like like I said earlier, he wanted to play. For all intents and purposes, he thought he was playing, and who knows? Maybe this is a stall tactic by Cleveland to to see if it works without him on the court. I don't know. Regardless, I feel bad for little Kev. I feel like he should be dropping dimes somewhere.
1: I, I mean, I feel bad. I feel bad for him simply because when he did get hit, when Harrison Barnes did deliver that elbow. It was inadvertent. People go, "Oh, Kevin Love, get up! You're so soft." (laughs) It was just a little elbow to the head. Do you have any idea what it feels like to have a six foot six, six foot seven dude elbow you in the back of your head? Can only imagine. Seriously, like you could be six eleven, but Kevin Love's head is 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 very small. If you if you look at it, and yes, he has hair on that head, but when you catch an elbow full speed. You're going down, and it proved it. He had a concussion. I mean, give him a break.
0: Yeah, I, I don't get it. And the fact that he kind of he stayed in the game, he played 21 more minutes after he right. sustained that concussion, which, you know, lends itself to the question of how and why and what's up with the NBA concussion protocol. Something like that shouldn't have happened, but, you know, the NBA and Cleveland said they did everything correctly, which I have a problem agreeing with. But, you know, regardless, hopefully this 27 year old former All Star can kind of right the ship. Yeah, even if it's not with Cleveland because if LeBron goes down 3-0 and loses this series the super friends are coming and uh, Cleveland's going <laughs> to Cleveland's going to clean house but regardless I guess that's all we're going to talk about with the finals we'll uh, we'll be right back with open mic we're going to talk some people that haven't been in the news lately I'm joking it's New York it's Phil Jackson we'll be right back open mic So Big Phil is back in the news, and most recently he was talking uh, in regards to LeBron James and all the criticism that LeBron... Seems to be getting right now. Some of it rightfully so. Some of it not so much. But Phil's advice to LeBron was exactly to be like Mike. And obviously, he's referring to Michael Jordan. Uh, back in 1993, Eastern Conference Finals, the Bulls were down zero to two against those New York Knicks that we remember fondly from way back when. Uh, and and a report came out of the New York Times detailing Michael Jordan's off day visit to an Atlantic City casino. And and it's funny because you know this was a big thing back then with Michael Jordan frivolously spending his money not concentrating on the game and you know jordan heard this and well what did he do phil says well it inspired mike it did something to him he put on the superman cape and he came back and he led those chicago bulls to victory and that's what phil says that that lebron needs to do he needs to become a man possessed he needs to put the team on his shoulders and he needs to have the team respond now Mo. I feel Phil is talking Obviously from experience It seems like A wise move But I feel for some reason You don't agree With what Phil Has to say Should Jackson Just please Shut up oh, Sam No seriously
1: Because I'm sick and tired Of these comparisons To LeBron James And Michael Jordan They are not idealistically the same player. Michael Jordan, a shooting guard, a guy who looks to score the basketball, very tenacious on the defensive end. LeBron has defense too, but as people have said it, and I, and I hate to sound like a broken record, but he's more magic than Michael. He's, he's a, He is yeah. a facilitator. He looks to distribute the ball, especially when his shots are not falling. If you look at his stats, he's a, he was a 42% shooter in game one and a 41% shooter in game two. So obviously he was looking to get his teammates involved because his shots weren't falling. As for Phil Jackson and, and, and the be like Mike type of thing, it's like... Why be someone that you're not? And LeBron said this, I think, in another press conference. He said, I have to be me. Because if he tries to be Mike, it could get a lot ugly. It can get a lot worse. And, and people are trying to figure out what's wrong with LeBron, what's wrong with Cleveland. It's the fact that just their shots are just not falling. And it starts with LeBron James, their best player. As I just said, 42% in game one, 41% in game two. If his shots fall, maybe you have a closer game. Maybe you have a win for Cleveland somewhere in the split. But as far as Phil, he has his own mess to clean up in New York. He needs to stop worrying about what LeBron James needs to do. Stop thinking into the past, into your glory days with the Bulls in 1993, against the Knicks, blah, blah, blah. This is not Michael Jordan on the court we're talking about. This is LeBron James. What he needs to do is be himself. What I would say to LeBron, the only advice I would give to him is, Take it to the lane a little bit more. I think he needs to get to the free throw line a little bit more than he has. I believe he's had four free throw attempts in the first two games. And he needs to take it in. He's a he's a bigger, obviously a bigger body. He needs to go in and make Golden State work in the paint, draw some fouls, get to the free throw line, and make his free throws. And then you'll see, you'll see a better, you'll see a more competitive Cleveland Cavaliers team. You'll see a better LeBron James. It's not about this putting on the Superman cape and becoming Michael Jordan because it's not going to happen. Look at the rounds that he's played in. He was a 48% shooter in round one, 50% shooter in round two, and a 62% shooter in round three. At that point, LeBron seemed unstoppable. Now his shots aren't falling. Now he needs to become Michael Jordan. Nah, I'm not buying it.
0: Man, oh man, Mo is hot under the collar. And I love it. Personally, I love it. I'm going to continue making you angry because Phil was uh, in the news some more this week. When asked about the expectations and the realism for the New York Knicks to make the postseason next year, Jackson responded, I think so. I think we're getting experience. Porzingis is still a young player. He may may need another year of experience, but we have some experienced guys who can play. So there's a lot of experience in that. Uh, He went on to say... That, why can't we make the playoffs? I don't know what's so great about what's out here in the East. We can fill that role. Um, Okay, he went on to to say that the three-point line has become a bit of our affection because it means more when we hit threes than twos, obviously. So the spacing has changed dramatically. So the triangle can still be part of that, but it has to adapt. Uh, so according to what Mo just said, if if I'm inferring correctly, Jackson is still living in the past. Wants to include the triangle. Now we'll get into Yeah uh, and how he feels in a moment. I understand that Phil is he's he's a, a rah rah cheerleading on this team. He has to say that this team is going to make the playoffs next year. I mean you can't you can't come out and say you know look at our roster. Are you serious? We have two players but there's a lot there's a lot that needs to go on to to change this now mo we already know that you're that you're ready to you know hang fill an effigy so i am going to give you a couple options here, because what Hornacek did, Hornacek said it's his preference to to upgrade the point guard position for the Knicks because, as we know, that's what he had in Phoenix. He had two, three really good point guards that kind of ran the show, spread the floor. So now I'm going to throw a couple names at you. We have some fun at this. And just tell me, yay, nay, or if you're indifferent, or if I'm out of my mind. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, first one is re-signing Jeremy Lin from way back when.
1: I say yay as a... Rotational
0: player. Rotation. Okay, uh, signing my favorite, Mike Conley. Uh, I'll say yay, but not super
1: enthusiastic. Why? Why are you
0: not? Why are you not, Why are you off the Mike Conley train?
1: I know you. 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 I think you have a Mike Conley poster in your room. Don't tell, don't tell anybody. You, you mentioned Mike Conley at least twice in every show. <laughs> but I'll say this: Mike Conley is a is is a solid distributor. Sure. What I worry about him is he's not really a a scorer like. It with Jeff Hornacek and with Phil Jackson, the way I see their offense setting up, you need a point guard that's going to be willing to shoot and shoot well. And, and Mike Conley just doesn't have that. He doesn't have that instinct to shoot the ball well. He's more of a, a distributor first than anything, which is good. But he's not. Again, he's not the best distributor either. He he's just kind of to me. He's kind of just a lukewarm, warm player. He's a floor general that can that can put your guys in the right spot. But when needed, if you need him to hit a hit a three or hit a jumper, he's not the guy you count on.
0: I don't know, I, I but if we have the same most of the same roster, I feel that a, a distributor, a point guard general type does fit well still with Carmelo and Porzingis, but regardless we'll keep on. Uh Brandon Jennings. Uh nay. Okay, I agree. Um uh, another guy I'm fond of, Rajon Rondo. Nay. Oh Big Nay. Really? And Carmelo loves yeah. him though. Loves him. I,
1: I don't. You don't need it and we'll get into this, you don't need another head case in that locker room. You gotta understand that the Knicks are rebuilding team, You wanna have continuity there in, in chemistry. And Rondo is like putting a multi multi- cocktail into your locker room because he can he no he can himself just combust the whole lineup. And he was in Sacramento, he was he had some knucklehead moments, but he was pretty much under control. He had a very experienced head coach there and George Carl there. In New York, he's gonna have Jeff Hornisek. Is he gonna really respect Jeff Hornisek? Even when Rondo was coming up with, with the Boston Celtics, he had a strong nucleus around him. He had, he had Paul Pierce, he had KG, he had Ray Allen, he had a tough guy like Tony Allen all in the locker room around him with Doc Rivers. Those guys kept him under control. He's going to be in New York where he's going to be probably the second best player on that team next to Carmelo with a, with a head coach who only really has three years of experience. No thanks.
0: Okay. Well, you could have, you could have just said no, but okay. Uh, moving <laughs> moving on, uh, former uh, former net Darren Williams. Nay, huge nay. Okay. Um, Re- journeyman Randy Foy. Huge nay.
1: Unless you get him as a getting him as a like a seventh man off the bench.
0: Seventh man off the bench. Fellow journeyman D J Augustine. Uh, nay. I
1: mean, okay. I'll say yay. Really. Uh, huge
0: yay. He played. we played pretty well for Chicago this past year.
1: That's why I say. I say I changed it to yay. I thought about it. I thought about his play in OKC. I thought about his play in Denver. I thought about his play in Chicago. He's he's
0: a yay. Okay. Now here are two two names that might be a bit of a stretch, but you might be able to get them for uh, cheaper. Uh, Della Vidova. Nate. Oh. Okay. What about what about everybody's favorite Rivers, who opted out of his deal with the Clippers? He showed some life. Nay, oh. unless Doc Rivers is coming with him, nay. <laughs> Okay, so basically there's no point guard you want. All right, how about then <laughs> trading for one of these three guys? Oh, excuse me, four guys. We'll say four. Uh, Eric Bledsoe, formerly, or still, but he's still with the Suns. Formerly, his coach was Hornacek. Anything?
1: Absolutely yay.
0: Oh, Def- really? You yay. got one. Okay. All right, what about another son, Bre- uh, Knight, Brandon Knight?
1: I'll say yay on that, too.
0: Okay, um... The next two are interesting. Uh, Jeff Teague, who's rumored to be going to Philly. What do you what do you think about him? He's he was he was linked to the Knicks last year. I'll say yay on that also. Okay, and finally, everybody's favorite Spaniard, Ricky Rubio, who says if the the uh, T Wolves don't win this year, he wants out. Nay. He oh. can go somewhere else. Not, not, <laughs> <doesn't>, All right. <laughs> so just to recap, it's it's we would have to trade. It's either uh, Bledsoe, Teague, or Knight. Am I correct?
1: Yep, or um, Lynn, if you're going to bring in minutes rotational. Lynn. Even though even though they there's a source, uh, New York Post, Mark Byrne, also already said that there's a source inside the organization that said they're not high on Jeremy Lynn or Ty Lawson. And I completely yeah. understand why they're not high on Ty Lawson. Sure. But I would bring back Jeremy Lynn, only because he can give you buckets off the bench.
0: Okay, now obviously you have to trade for one of these guys we don't have very much to trade would you prefer to go out and spend some of the money that's available on a guy like evan fournier formerly of the magic or maybe an eric gordon type
1: i I, I wouldn't mind eric fournier only because he gives you um uh, he gives you a shooter which is what phil jackson and jeff horn is like what i would assume would want a guy who can shoot the ball pretty well he can be tricky at times but i like his shooting eric gordon he's his injury history scares me yeah so i'll stay away from him and I'm going to throw in a name that you're going to roll your eyes
0: on. better not be Evan Turner. It better not be Evan. Evan,
1: Evan. Not be...
0: Evan. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. You know, that's why I didn't put his name on my list because I just I know. knew it.
1: I know. I, I was I was waiting for it because you nope. went with Lynn. You spoke about all the guys that
0: you like, Connolly and these guys. No softballs. No softballs and- for you, sir.
1: And, and then and then you skip over Evan Turner. Yep. Okay, let me just hear me out on this. One. Yeah. Evan Turner was a fifty-two point four percent three point shooter after the All Star break. You know why? Because he was getting more than thirty minutes a game. When he was getting less than thirty minutes a game, he was a footnote. So, like I said, like I've said in these previous shows, give him the minutes and he'll give you production. Just give him some starter minutes and he'll and he'll he'll produce and he'll give you passing, scoring. He's he's a reliable shooter. He's got some size and he could play three positions on the court, why would you not want Evan Turner? I know that he's also leaning with Boston. He didn't quite say that he would give Boston a hometown discount, but he did say he he, he wants to be courted, He he wants to have that feeling that a team wants him. So if Boston really wants him back, he'll likely be signed there, but if he doesn't go back there... I'm taking him in Madison Square
0: You're taking him, and we already have him in Derrick Williams, so that's why <laughs> no. I don't want him. It's the Derek, s- no. same guy. Same Derek, same guy. Derrick
1: Derek Williams is the gullible guy getting robbed,
0: okay? Robbed. I, He's I, robbing the Knicks I, with that if he opts in on that player contract.
1: You no, know, I mean, he is not Derrick Williams. First of all, Derrick Williams is a forward, power forward type player who just started shooting. Three pointers. Evan Turner is the same place is an established ball distributor. Established? A, yes, established because oh. <laughs> the guy dishes dimes. Dimes? We're talking about Kevin loves Indeed. dimes. Evan Turner has dimes in his pocket too. Oh, he also man. got into a fight with Lance Stevenson at a practice, which shows he has some fire, okay? Yeah. Well, so,
0: great for just that. look
1: into Evan Turner, please. I, I'm asking everyone who's listening to this podcast. Look into Evan Turner's minutes versus his production, and you'll see the more minutes he gets, the better he is on the court.
0: Okay, well, do that, and then hit us on Twitter, Mike and Mo Show, and tell us why he shouldn't be a (laughs) New York Knick, because he's going to command way too much money, and we need to better invest that. But keeping in the NBA, there was a recent report this week that the number one pick going to the Philadelphia 76ers may not be who you think it is now mo you're super high on ben simmons and we know that he signed the largest rookie shoe contract in the history of time with nike earlier this week uh which which you know is, is interesting but i mean on paper you would think it would have to be him or brandon ingram of duke where in the world did jamal murray's name come from apparently it came from
1: the sixers scouting team they've been watching this guy for the past weeks and they they've been impressed with what he can do they like his stroke and they have his shot from beyond the arc or inside the arc and they feel like they need to spread the floor in today's nba where shooters reign supreme so i can see why they they're falling in love with this guy but i'll offer this up i know i've been on the ben simmons bandwagon since day one about philly choosing him so hard but i'll i'll, I'll give it i'll give an alternative I, first of all, I think Phillies are outsmarting themselves by overthinking this. But yeah. how about my man Chris Dunn
0: oh, being the Chris number one Dunn.
1: overall pick for the 76ers? Why? Because you need someone to set these guys up. You can get a shooter, but who's going to set him up for a good shot? You know, if he's not, if he can't make his own shot, someone has to put the ball in the right spot for him to get his jumpers. So why not get Chris Dunn as your number one overall pick, solidify your point guard position, and then sprinkle some holy oil on John Embiid's foot and hope that he can get back on the court at some point in his life. And then you just trade Nerlens Noel for another shooter because shooting is really a niche thing. You can get a shooter at the end of the first round. You can get a good shooter in the second round. You can trade for a shooter. You get one as a free agent. You don't want to spend your number one pick on a shooter. I mean, that's just not, that's just not good thinking. Again, Philly could outsmart themselves with this. Either you get Ben Simmons, who's gonna be a star, or you get Chris Dunn, who's gonna set up your offense for years to come.
0: A six foot three, almost twenty three year old point guard should not be the first overall pick, and I'm referring to Chris Dunn here, who could be a a little bit better than Michael Carter Williams, who seriously, yes, who the Sixers had as far as as far as Jamal Murray. I don't know anybody that even realized this guy played for Kentucky this past year. I I know that he had twenty points a game, five boards, two assists, and he actually shot 50% from the field and 40% from the three. But if you're if you're legitimately even thinking about passing up on I mean, we know we know that Simmons has been the number one consensus pick for a while, but if you would pass up on him and my man Ingram from Duke for, for this guy. I, I would be shocked. But and, and again, why is Philly even floating this idea when you have the first pick? It's not I mean, are they literally trying to get someone to maybe trade up and flip flop? Are they not so sold on one of those first two guys? I mean, why would you why would you even make all of this these possibilities when you have the first pick? You don't have the second pick. You don't have to worry about anybody anybody else if you don't trade it.
1: I think they I think you bring up a good point. Maybe they could try to bait a team up to say if the team really likes Ben Simmons, they could say, Well the Sixers are leaning on on someone else, then we can trade up and possibly position ourselves to get Ben Simmons, which I think is a smart move considering if you can get some good offers for it. But if not, then you people basically people call it your bluff and then you go with Ben Simmons and you go, Well, I knew that was gonna happen. But if they are legitimately thinking about an alternative player to Ben Simmons, again I look at Chris Dunn. I'm sorry, this is a this is a league where point guards reign supreme and shooters. So if you have a shooter and a point guard and you make fun of a guy saying Who's gonna pick a six foot three, two hundred pound point guard at the top of the draft? Well, he's if Stephen Curry, I'm not saying he's Stephen Curry, but if Stephen Curry is in the, is re, being redrafted in his year, two thousand seven, whenever it was. Don't you think he would be the number one pick in the draft because it's, of his uh, prowess and shooting? Yes, and but
0: balling. totally different. This Stephen Curry was not Stephen Curry at Davidson. He was a very good player. He Davidson. Nobody knew of Davidson before Stephen Curry oh. got there, and he led them pretty deep, really deep into that tournament. But he again, Stephen Curry had ankle problems. Stephen Curry couldn't handle the ball very well didn't defend still doesn't defend so that's that's totally kind of asinine to even bother saying because yes of course I would draft mm-hmm. he would be Michael Jordan would be the first overall draft pick if we could do you know that draft over again but but mm-hmm. re- regardless if you still have done, even if he averages 16 points a game, which is what he averaged in Providence, which, you know, more than likely as a, as a rookie point guard, you're not. They still don't have a guy that's going to slash, a guy that's going to shoot from the perimeter consistently. You got all those bigs and a point guard, but you got you have you don't have anybody that's, that's going to drive to the hole and make things happen. So you still are going to have the first overall pick next year.
1: Hey, wait, 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 wait. No, you're not. Because remember, the Philip of 76, I believe if I'm looking at this correctly, gonna, I got to go to the glasses. You guys can't see me, but I have all the glasses right now. They have three first round picks. I believe they have the 24th and the 26th pick also. So you can get a shooter or a slasher in the first, in the, in, in the first round or you can package something and trade for a shooter. It's not like you're not going to get a shooter if you don't get one first or second. You can still get one in the first round. Or make a deal. I mean, they got obviously they're out there shopping players. You hear so many names, Teague and Okafor and all of these things. You can make a deal for a shooter and then have your point guard you can have your cake and eat it too if you if you're the 76ers with these picks.
0: You know, we talked last episode about potential trades, and it's funny because literally as we posted the episode, the the, the Nerlens Noel for Jeff Teague talk came up. So I felt <laughs> we felt really smart about that. Now I don't necessarily know if if Nerlens Noel should be traded for a guy like Jeff Teague but that would answer at least their their point guard problems for for the next year or so maybe maybe longer depending on how Teague continues to play so i think that's if that's what they want to do it definitely they're definitely not going to take a Chris Dunn they would definitely lean towards taking Ben Simmons or or you know ingram but again it'll be it'll be interesting who i mean i don't again i don't know if anybody's actually going to want to sign with philly uh once the uh, moratorium is lifted on free agency uh, in july 1 maybe maybe your boy deon waiters he is from philly he did say he wanted to go back home uh before you know they made that wrong uh, long run as far as okc is concerned i don't know if he's the answer but at least it's a guy that's not afraid to shoot so there, there is that uh moving on to everybody's favorite team for next season everybody's uh sweetheart the minnesota Timberwolves, and reports out of Minnesota are that uh, a 31-year-old with some funny hair who used to live in New York named Joakim Noah is interested in teaming up with his former boss, Tom, I'll throw you into the ground, Thibodeau. Now, I honestly think that this is a pretty great signing to come over and not only to continue to mentor those young kids with Kevin Garnett. But he can step into that center position. Pekovic can go to the bench or, or go somewhere else, Croatia, wherever he wants to go. And and he can still be effective. And like I know he was horrible last year. He had four point three points a game, eight boards and three assists, but he was hurt. So I I do feel like this guy can I feel like he can get something better. Out of himself being on a team that has some momentum with a coach that knows how to use him, but again, it's a, it is a little bit of a, of an injury concern because he hasn't been the same in about three years.
1: Yeah, I mean, you 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 if we put out a hit campaign on Tom Thibodeau, ever since find <laughs> don't Minnesota, you just been throwing this guy yep. under the bus Shove
0: every on it. chance you get all the time. I don't
1: get the
0: hate. There's no, no, no hate. hate, no hate. He just destroys young promising teams. That's it.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, that's it. That's it. No, no big deal. Like Minnesota is a young, promising team. Poor, you can't destroy.
0: Derrick right? Rose. Rose. His knees will never forgive Tom Thibodeau.
1: Oh my gosh. Yeah. But if you're thinking about it, then if you if you think about conventional wisdom here, why would then Joe Noah go to Minnesota, with the same guy who ran him into the ground and play for him again? there i mean
0: i think just for the opportunity to make the playoffs and it's a system he knows i think honestly maybe joe kim knows personally he doesn't have much left in the tank so he's just gonna go there and do what he can
1: yeah and i agree and I, like i said i like well i didn't say this already but i like joe kim noah yeah. in the because he as you said pekovic is not a starter anyway georgie jang uh he could probably play backup he's not a scorer he's a, he's a rim protector basically and you have you'll have that in joe kim noah for at least 25, maybe 26 27 minutes a game. Especially with him with Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins. That's a formidable front court. And then you have Ricky Rubio if he's if he decides to stay or not, whatever. Zach Levine, the Dunker, yeah. and again, the player coach, Kevin Garnett, there moving into his soon-to-be front office position after he retires, because that you know that's coming up pretty soon. Joe Keno can take over that five spot and, and be a voice there, a defensive presence and the voice in the locker room.
0: It, yeah, it'll just be interesting, though, because, you know, this is, again, Tom Thibodeau's first go around is a uh, man in charge, and they've got $30 million in cap space, so they can attract, uh, I would think, plenty of interest, pl- maybe a guy like Al Horford, so I would be careful to spend that money on a, on a broken-down Joe Kim Noah, but again, if Thibodeau wants to do it, he's the man pulling the, pulling the punches, so we will see, but hey, that's what it's all about, and that is it for open mic get ready we'll be right back with building momentum we're going to talk baseball we're going to talk fights in baseball we're going to talk injuries in baseball and we might even have some time for some scandalous nfl info we'll be right back it's now time for building momentum Cardano Ventura of the Kansas City Royals is unable to continue to pitch to the level that he was saddled with as a prospect. He might, might have a have a chance as a light featherweight in the World Boxing Federation because this guy likes to fight. Mo, did Mo, did you catch? Did you catch the highlights last night?
1: I, I didn't see the fight. I'm I'm sorry that I missed it because you know I'm out here uh, with other important superstars to report on and to write about. Mm-hmm. And Ventura is not a superstar anyway. But I'm I'm reading about this. And from what I'm reading, this guy Ventura is a piece of work. And apparently (laughs) the rules have been trying to get rid of this piece of work for about a month. There have been conflicting reports. Uh, Jeffrey again, a source told him that, you know, it's nonsense that about these reports that Jeff is of Yahoo Sports has been saying that the rules have been trying to get rid of him. And apparently, Ventura talked about hitting Joey Bats next time he faced him on the mound. And that encouraged, basically, the trade talks and people saying, well, this guy is just too immature to have around. We're done with him. Every time we give him a chance to kind of uplift himself, he takes a step back. And then this fight happens and this brawl happens, and it's just another point to him being immature on the field and... I'm not surprised about these trade reports. Obviously, management is trying to talk down on these because you don't want the media to get a hold of these stories because they need to turn it into something huge. I think eventually he gets moved because he's, as many people would say, he's just not living up to his potential. And he seems to be a hothead out there on the mound
0: Yeah I mean the second inning uh, He came in twice high and hard Against Manny Machado One of the best young players in the entire game And and after Machado flied out to left The two exchanged words And it it, it just looked like something was going to go down so, uh, you know, the next time he comes out to bat, he gets hit, Machado, square in the back with a 99-mile-an-hour fastball, and that was it. I mean, you could tell Salvador Perez, the catcher for KC, didn't know this was happening because he didn't, he didn't even get up in time to, to stop Machado, so obviously it wasn't called for. This was, this was the hot-headed Ventura doing his own thing, and this guy's had a lot of talent, but he loves just loves to rub teams the wrong way I mean last year he had a brawl with the White Sox him and he hit Brett Lawrie. they went at it I mean this is just this is a thing this is what people seem to know about him and, and I just hope that this club this Kansas City team can get a guy like this under control because you get hit and with a 99 mile an hour fastball anywhere it's gonna hurt but god forbid it's it's near the head it's, it's in a place that can do some permanent damage and it's just it's it's really it's it's scary and it's not worth it and you know you got guys like, like perennial all star Adam Jones who who was there at the fight He, he saw when it went down and, and it was great What he said You know after the game He says I knew it was going to happen You know he says The guys are electric stuff And his talent is all there But between the ears There's a circuit board Off balance He said Which is pretty true And then he came out And it's funny Because the comparisons Are pretty close to He said He wants to be Pedro Martinez He said Cool Be Pedro Martinez Get out there And have a damn Sub 2.00 ERA Like Pedro did Don't go out there To hurt somebody And that's really true you know pedro was a little wild in his beginning and pedro was was the same you remember the fight with boston when he threw you know he threw the poor old man down to the floor and, and you know that was again that was something that pedro says to this day he regretted doing uh but again, Pedro learned how to control himself, and he'll, he's one of the probably the top 25 pitchers in baseball history. So if Ventura ever wants to get his career on track, he really needs to get his head right because, again, you're messing around with a 99-mile-an-hour fastball. These are major league baseball players. I'm, I'm going to be not surprised one day when somebody doesn't drop the bat and they come out with the bat to the mound, and we've got a whole another set of issues on our hand. Now, I
1: may be cheating looking at the cheat sheet here, but, but – um... You may know that isn't this Machado's fourth career ejection and Ventura's third. So Machado isn't exactly what you would call a Mount mannered person.
0: Yeah, either. no, he's All very this. very hot-headed. Absolutely, and and Machado, you know, has has a history of injuries, and and it was expressed after the game that he said, you know, again, if what happens if that ball hit him in his knee, which his knee had you know complete reconstruction in the past couple of years, it could be the end of his career. So it is. It's one of those things that. You play, you're playing with fire, and again, Machado's hot-headed, Ventura's hot-headed. You you have the recipe for disaster, and, you know, it came to blows. There will be there will be major suspensions. You know, I don't know if we're going to get suspensions that we saw with Texas and Baltimore. Uh, excuse me, Texas and the Blue Jays as far as uh, Ruben and Odor <laughs> striking Jose Betis in the <laughs> face. But, yeah, you're going to be looking at seven games for... Uh, For the pitcher, And I would think five to six games for Machado because, again, it's just it's not a good look for Major League Baseball. But, you know, for one thing, I guess certain people will think it's making baseball fun again in the words of Bryce Harper. And, uh, you know, it's like I went to a baseball game and a hockey fight broke out. So it's it's interesting. It really is. But again, um, not a good look. It's uh, you know, it's it's an uncomfortable situation for everyone. And you got to you go. You have to be a little bit smarter when you're getting paid millions and millions of dollars.
1: Now, now I'm, I didn't play baseball as much as Mike did, but I know how it feels to get hit by a tennis ball full <laughs> speed. Now, I was going to say, why don't these pitchers get a longer suspension for hitting players with, like, 90-plus, 90 99-plus mile-per-hour pitches? Because, as you said, if you get hit somewhere, like in the head or something, that's serious. I think baseball needs to do a better job at discouraging this type of unwritten rule where you, you you plunk pitchers and i get it it's part of history and mlb and baseball it's in their fabric but this needs to be outlawed because you don't want people seriously getting hurt
0: yeah well, that's a that's a great question and and the truth is is that uh this was an american league game and in the, in the in the american league pitchers don't bat so if you look to national league where pitchers have to bat there's a lot less of this that goes on because a pitcher could get hit by another pitcher. Like obviously, if you're a pitcher in the American League, you don't have to worry about that. You can just go up there, fling the ball around, and there's a designated hitter. But in the in the National League, you've got to be a little more careful. And you know, remember Roger Clemens when he pitched all those years with the Yankees and the Blue Jays and the Red Sox. He he threw wildly when he went to the Astros and pitched the National League when they were in the National League. He, there was none of that. You know, there was no garbage. There was there was none of that. And and it really makes a difference. And to your other point about why don't they get suspended for longer? It's weird because a pitcher pitches every five days. So if you suspend him for seven games, he's only missing one start. What they need to start doing is saying... You're suspended for two starts Or 14 right. days Whatever that Whatever that's gonna be It's very true Because what is Okay one start Big deal A lot of guys In some rotations Some rotations have a six man rotation So they skip a straight anyway So yeah It's not It's not anything huge And they do need to put more Of an emphasis on that But you know Again that's the Joe Torre Who's in charge of that whole Committee of suspensions And whatnot. But yeah Those are two Really important factors That need to be brought Into the decision making of, of suspensions of, of that And to even take that point A little bit further It's funny Because in basketball when there's a fight If you leave the bench You're suspended Same in football right. You leave the sideline right. You're suspended But in baseball And of course this It's just an unwritten rule Everybody charges the, the field Everybody leaves a dugout The guys from the concession stand Come down You've got the guys <laughs> In the bullpen that run out Whereas if you were And my dad, dad even said it to me The other night If it's just like A one-on-one thing A hockey fight Where you've got these two guys And regardless If they're coming to blows If the umpires kind of converge Everybody player-wise Stays where they are It's a lot easier to break up Than basically A baseball melee Where you've got uh, What is it 44 uh, Guys Pushing and shoving Because there's not A lot of punching Once in a while Like last night there was But there's not really A lot of of Actual fighting There's just pushing And shoving And guys falling Over one another If you tell them If you leave the dugout You will be suspended Just like in other sports This would cut down on it So why are we not doing that
1: Yeah I don't know I think again It's one of those Unwritten rules of baseball Because I heard years ago That if you don't Come out there And charge the field When you're Teammates out there you know people look down yeah you're a punk. look down upon it absolutely you're you're basically a lot you're basically a, lock, you're basically a, a clubhouse pariah yeah. at that point so it's like you have to do it so in order to discourage this and to turn back time and just kind of redo redo these unwritten rules mlb needs to step in joe Turner needs to step in and say hey like as you said if you if you need the dugout you know you're gonna get hit with a suspension or something
0: absolutely i mean just write to your commissioner rob manfred tell him care of the mike and mo show uh we've got some ideas to change sports and baseball right now right here let's not wait let's put it into action mo
1: yeah absolutely and we we, we're trying to make baseball fun again fun again but just less dangerous as well that's uh, the Speaking of getting hurt injuries, I, I know what injury made my eyes bug out of my head. But, yeah, you do. Mike, of all these injuries to prominent players, which injury do you think hurts a team in Major League Baseball the most at this point? Again, I, I'm looking at the Mets, obviously, and you're probably going to mention David Wright, mm-hmm. but I'll give you the floor and say which injury is, is probably the most significant.
0: That's uh, that's a great question, and looking at who was hurt this year, uh, this week, uh. Yasiel Puig of the Dodgers, Mark Teixeira of the Yankees, your boy David Wright of the Mets. But number one, the one that hurts the most is Hunter Pence with the San Francisco Giants. Their everyday starting right fielder literally tore the hamstring in his right leg clear off the bone. Uh, I can't even imagine... How much that hurts. Uh, he's elected for surgery. He's going to be out a minimum of eight weeks, which is going to put him well past the All-Star break. And it's a shame because this guy was batting two ninety seven homers and 36 RBIs. Uh, a really good outfield, though, but a team leader. I mean, they're a cleanup hitter. And if you know anything about that Giants team, without him in that outfield and, and starting every day, it's a little scary. You've still got Posey Buster Posey, the catchers not having a, a typical type of a Posey year. Joe Panick is seconds doing okay. Crawford and Shorts not having the type of year at last year. Matt Duffy, the third baseman, is non-existent. Uh they're really going uh they're going all pitching. Uh so thank goodness they signed Jeff Samarja and Johnny Cueto in the offseason. But yeah, to me. Losing hundred pence is huge. Uh, Mark Teixeira wasn't doing much of anything anyway, and I love the guy, but he was batting about a buck eighty. So um, that that uh, doesn't affect me. Yasio Puig, another guy batting about two thirty seven. Uh, he was uh, kind of a knucklehead in his own right, and uh, honestly, it's kind of helped him getting uh, Trace Thompson into the outfield, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But as far as your Mets are concerned, your New York Metropolitans, it was only a matter of time before David Wright got hurt. And it's funny because last year, when I was still in Los Angeles, uh, we all know David Wright was was out, and he had that uh, spinal stenosis. And I go to a local Starbucks in Marina del Rey, and who's standing? At line for a mocha latte frappuccino, your boy David Wright and I go in and I go in and I, I took a double take because and again this is July I think and and I realized he wasn't playing and I'm like what is David Wright doing in, at a Starbucks in California and I realized that there is a uh, there was a laser institute. Uh, spine center across across the way But if I tell you Mo That he They, they have him listed at about six one two twenty five. If I tell you that he's anything more than 5'11", a buck 80 Then you can dunk Because this guy Just He didn't even look like an athlete I mean and I know that you can only do so much working out when you're injured But uh, the Mets traded for Kelly Johnson today Kelly Johnson, the 34-year-old utility player Who was a Met last year Who they traded for from the Braves last year Who they traded for from the Braves today For Akil Morris, a relief pitcher The Mets are struggling And 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 to get a guy like Kelly Johnson Who you do you really think That he's going to be able to fill in every day And don't tell me that Wilmer Flores Who's batting .220 Can be the everyday third baseman Because it's not And, and really right now Uh, Jonas Cespedes is feeling the pressure because he even said today in regards to the Mets struggles I'm not Superman I can't do it all and he's right because last year everybody said well we rode the back of Cespedes until David Wright came back and that pitching staff got on track but Cespedes you know a little bit of an attitude said today if nobody gets on before me and nobody gets on after me I have to hit home runs and I can't do that all the time and he's right he really can't so instead of the Mets going out and making a splash making a big move that wouldn't put pressure on David Wright to come back sooner and get all these guys in the lineup to hitting that aren't they traded for Kelly Johnson so I told you Mo I warned you I continue to warn you that it's not a good look right now and the Nationals are not lightening up in that division
1: they're not letting up, but I I take note that you took a good three minutes to bash the Mets. Oh. I, I I noticed you, you touched on your most prominent injury, but then you stopped on the Mets and you and you just had to thread the needle there and twist well, the knife into the okay.
0: I'll I'll tell you one positive thing about the Mets and David Wright. Okay, if he doesn't come back and he retires, which is kind of like the Chris Bosch situation with Miami, <laughs> he's act the Mets are actually covered for seventy five percent of his salary, which is eighty one million dollars. Through the 2020 season, Mo Because they have insurance on his back So if I'm a Mets fan I'm not If I were you I would hope that David Wright never plays another game in his life And I know he's Mr. Met I know he's your captain And yes, don't get me wrong He inspired the Mets to get, to get back into it last year He really, really did And when he's right When he's at least in the lineup he's He has the potential to hit a home run And to drive in runs And to at least be a guy that can take the pressure off of Cespedes But $81 million still owed through 2020, that's crazy.
1: Yeah, but it, it is crazy. But a lot of people look at these baseball contracts, like most of them are crazy. And you can thank the MLBPA for that one. But, I mean, again, you just had to twist the knife into the meds. I'm, I'm not too worried, but I, I did. When I saw that he was going to be out for an extended period of time, because I know he was battling with an injury. Yeah. And then it was like, oh, okay, it's worse than what it seems. I was like, uh-oh. I mean, it's not it's not the worst thing ever because this isn't him at his prime. But you, you, want, you want all hands on deck, and it is a long season, and we are coming up on an all-star break, so hopefully better days are up ahead. The Mets are still in second place, by the way, compared to the Yankees who are <laughs> struggling around 500. Um, <laughs> it seems that the Mets are still going to be all right.
0: All right, that's that's fair enough. One bit of fun baseball information that doesn't really have—we uh, don't have any dogs in the race—is—is is Madison Bumgarner, who I, I briefly talked about that that really strong San Francisco uh, Giants pitching staff. And if you know this guy or if you've seen this guy, he's a beast, Hulk giant of a man from North Carolina. stands about six seven, probably about two hundred and thirty five pounds. And this guy is a pitcher, a left-handed pitcher, but can he rake like? I mean it's insane and he literally enjoys hitting. He's a right-handed hitter and and for what we're told, he wants to be the first pitcher to ever take part in the home run derby at the All-Star game. Now, I think this is pretty pretty cool and according to a recent poll that was done on Twitter, 88% of fans said that they would be all for this. 12% of fans are lame so they don't know what they want to see, but this guy The other day was in Seattle in an interleague game, and he takes batting practice before the game and hit 14 balls into the upper deck. 14 balls. And the grounds crew of Seattle said that the only other guy to ever do that was Nelson Cruz, who is an outfield home run hitter for the Seattle Mariners. Now, that's pretty cool. I mean, if you don't agree with me, that's fine. But you do have to wonder, uh, would the Giants let him partake in this because he's a pitcher, they're number one, they're ace. And again, when you swing for a home run, you're using a lot more torque, a lot more leverage, and the potential is there to hurt an oblique or a back muscle, uh, which is exactly what Bruce Bochy, the manager of San Francisco, said. Now, But Mo, don't you do you, don't you think it would be cool? I mean, Steven Matz can hit a little bit. Noah Syndergaard can hit a little bit. Heck, even Bartolo Colon hit a home run this year. Yeah. So do you want to see it?
1: I mean, I wouldn't mind seeing it. It would be an interesting thing to see a pitcher do it. I mean, if you ever played video games back in the day, you know it's possible, but in real life, not so much. But, <laughs> I, you know, it would be a spectacle to see. It would make the whole event more interesting to watch. But I will say this just a slight transition, Mike. Yeah. Um, we, we talked about injuries. We talk, we, we're talking about pitchers hitting home runs, we're talking about brawls and fights. Why isn't the MLB draft a big deal, like the NBA draft and the NFL draft? Because as, as people may not know this, but the MLB draft is, I believe it starts tomorrow, yeah. and no one's really talking about it. You got, a, you got an MLB prospect from Puerto Rico, a shortstop, Delvin Perez, Gone. tested positive for an undisclosed performance enhancer, according to John Manuel and J.J. Cooper of Baseball America, and it just seems like this stuff just doesn't get picked up. And I believe this is why people feel like baseball lies behind football and basketball, because it just doesn't get the the media press that the other two sports get as far as beginning to end, as far as draft, season to playoffs. And I'll pose that question to you because you're more of a baseball mind than me. But I'm reading all this, and I'm like, this is huge news. Because if an NFL top draft prospect tests positive or fails a drug test, we're all over it. If the NFL draft or NBA draft is tomorrow, we're all over it. And it just seems like the baseball draft just falls under the rug.
0: Yeah, and MLB has, in, in their defense, has done a, a better job since Manfred has, has come on as commissioner because years past, uh, you could only find the MLB draft on the radio. And who the heck is going to listen to a draft on the radio? So now that it's actually on TV on the MLB channel and they do it live, they actually do. It's pretty cool. They do it at studio 42 in Secaucus, New Jersey, and they have all the teams there represented. Now it's obviously it's not on the grand scale. Uh, the players are there, you know, with their family kind of like they have like makeshift dugouts and stuff. So it's pretty cool, but there's not the fanfare isn't there. And honestly, it's probably because the draft is 40 rounds long. Uh, that's a, that's a long, long. I have a problem with, with the NBA draft after, like, you know, three quarters of the way through the first round. So I can only imagine 40 rounds. But again, these kids, the, the majority of players drafted for the MLB draft come out of high school. So we don't know these schools. We don't know these players. We don't follow them. Uh, right now, for instance, the Super Regionals are going on in college baseball. No one, no one knows this on on a level that you know they should or they care to. It's not college baseball. is not college football. It's not college basketball. The TV ratings aren't there. Uh, m- less and less players are coming out of college uh, these days that are that are super ready to go. I mean, look at look at the Bryce Harpers, the Mike Trouts. These guys were were right out of high school. Bryce Harper obviously did play a one year at a junior college. That's because he left school at the age of uh, sixteen. He graduated high school early, so that's a little bit different. But yeah, most players are jumping right from high school because they. Sp- a good three to four years in the minor leagues on an average instead of spending that at college by the time they graduate they get three to four years under their belts in the minors they're ready to go so when you look at a guy that spends three to four years in in college he's now 23 now he's got to spend what another two to three years in the minor leagues now you're 25 26 those are your prime years in baseball and it's similar to like what uh chris bryant of the of the chicago cubs went through he uh he went to three years at san diego state and he was a man-child. So by the time he spent three years, uh, two to three, as I believe, in the minor league system, he was 23 already, uh, 24, 25. He's ready to go. So, But again, he missed a couple years where he could have, who knows what Chris Bryant could have been. And he's probably one of the top 10 uh, third base slash Left fielders Depending on where Joe Madden puts him uh, He's one of the best In the game right now But imagine where He could have been Had he not gone to college And, and spent that time In a minor league system So there's a lot of Variables on why It's not as popular uh, I'll tune in for a little bit I, lo- I really want to see Obviously as a Yankee fan I want to see Who the Yankees draft Last year they got They did take a college pitcher James Caprellian From UCLA uh, They had Took him in the In the 20s Now pitching's a little bit Different because Pitchers obviously Mature at a different rate uh, You look at the Yankees this year, for instance, Luis Severino, who came up last year at at, at nineteen, was fantastic. This year, came back up at twenty, not so good. Zero and six with almost a seven ERA. Whereas Caprellian, who spent three years at UCLA, uh, he's twenty one years old now. He's almost ready to go. I mean, he's striking out people at a clip of uh, eight per any eight per game. Uh, his ERA is a little bit over one. So if he stays healthy and he did have a little bit of a uh, arm and impingement early in this year, he could be up with a big club. Uh, by late july especially if the yankees don't do uh do very well so again a lot of variables but you know what mo i'm sure i'm sure that you being the mets fan you are will tune in or at least know the recap of who the new york mets drafted am i not correct
1: yeah Yes, of course. And I'll okay. give you guys a, a pure <laughs> update on what the Mets have and their new prospects and what they have. I'll pay attention to oh, all 40 rounds and I give love you guys the nitty gritty of it
0: all. Whew, love it, Mo. Thank you for that. Well, enough baseball for right now. We're going to talk about Mo's forte, and we're going to talk about the Oakland Raiders. So, a, a, a report came out recently from Las Vegas, the city that wants, wants the Raiders. Um, That there were some interesting tidbits of of female workers of um, gentlemen's clubs, I guess is the best way to say them, that they were offering players lap dances for free for life and i feel that this is one of the <laughs> issues that may stop the nfl from eventually going to vegas and if you've been following the news there's a uh, there's a contingent of ex players led by ronnie lott who is doing everything in his power to keep the raiders in oakland because i guess that's where he feels they should stay now Mo. Do you think that this Raiders strip club situation could get out of hand, or is it something that's just Las Vegas being Las Vegas?
1: Seriously, Mike, think about it. These players, whether they're in Las Vegas or not, you don't think they get free meals and free lap dances wherever they go in any other big city? Sure. Well, I mean, look it's at not a, just going to be Vegas.
0: Look at your boy Keep Talib.
1: Yeah, he's out here going to clubs and shooting himself or getting shot. And and people have a big stink about that. It can happen anywhere. And I'm sure these players get preferential treatment wherever they go. Vegas is just putting it on front street saying, this is what we're going to do to get these rated players in here but again it happens everywhere nfl don't don't try to act like it doesn't happen in other cities because it does now i i had a chuckle out of the tmz report and it was it was uh ended with the hashtag commitment to (laughs) assolence just for a baby black hole i i had chuckle at
0: that Oh, that's great Off,
1: off, off color remarks but it was pretty funny and if I'm a Raiders player, I'm like, hey, I get this in every, any other city, and now it's on Front Street. If we go to Vegas, I'd want to go. Mike, I know. I don't want to get you in trouble with your situation. Uh, but if you're an NFL player, you have to look at this and say, hey, why not? The NFL is over here on the other side of the field trying to push players to go to London. What are they going to get in London? I mean, fish and chips? Yeah, I mean, buddy. guys. But what are you getting out of going to London uh, on this long trip? And and they already spoke about the logistics of it and how it worked out if a playoff team in London has to travel back and forth from London to the Midwest and further. I mean, look at it. If you if you're looking at this, I like the Vegas idea. Hate the London
0: idea. Yeah, I'm totally with you. I don't understand how you can put a team that in London. It's eight hours by from new york by plane i mean can you imagine what the los angeles rams would have to do you'd have to give them off at least two weeks when they go to London, it's just it—it's a logistical nightmare. Unless you're gonna have an entire European division, uh, I just—I don't see it. It doesn't make sense. I don't—I don't like the idea of putting a team in Mexico because of of, of all the situations there and the time change. I mean, it's just—it's—it's it's just too much. I mean, it's the National Football League. I understand stretching borders. We, you don't even have a team in Canada. You want to put one in in uh, London? And I think London's a great city. I want to go. It's on my bucket list. Uh, but if that's the case. Then tell the uh, tell the Barclays Premiership, which is the top soccer league, that they need to put some uh, American teams in. I mean, it's what's fair is fair.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think the NFL is just is just drunk with power right now because they feel like no matter what we do, people will watch whether we put a team on London or the moon. People are going to tune in because they've been tweaking things and they've been putting. You know, they have a game in China that's coming up in a few years. And they're adding more games to London. So you you know they're trying to stretch the borders and trying to test the waters a little bit. You know, a good business, test the waters and see what happens, it takes chances, but this is just too much because it's a player issue where players are gonna be are gonna be sagged with, with this travel mission from one from from another country in, in Europe to, to America. And it's it's just again, the travel is just too much. Don't put your players through distress. it's already bad enough. They only get one bye week. So if you have a team there and they're playing home games there and several teams are traveling there and the divisional games and all of that stuff, you're going to have to change a lot of things. You're going to have to move a lot of things around logistically. Just leave it alone. But if you're going to have strippers and tight players <laughs> come to Vegas, I say why not? It's it's all a fair game because it happens anyway.
0: Yeah, you know what? Let's just put a team in Amsterdam, and um, you know we can have the tour buses go to the red light district on the half hour. <laughs> like, really? What are what are we doing? I mean, it's it's kind of comical. And then you know, then the other day, the uh, NFL, uh, you know, social media reports uh, get hacked and say that Roger Goodell <laughs> has passed away at fifty seven, and you see an uprousing of support by by fans, and you wonder like wow, these fans really don't care about, about Roger Goodell. And, and it's like almost it's like rightfully so. Why are you trying to change this game so much? You have the, you have the, the biggest brand in the world. He, the man himself made over 50, oh, close to $50 million last year. Uh, there's, the, there's a disconnect there. I mean, you really, instead of worrying about the bottom dollar and, and worrying about what, what is good for, you know, revenue purposes, you have to worry about, you should, or at least include the people that are making you that money on the field.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and I, like I said, once you're, you're that powerful and you're the NFL, you could basically put any—I mean, people are now screaming to watch preseason games. Like, seriously, preseason games. People care about NF, the NFL combine, things that we just didn't care about years ago. The NFL has grown so much in popularity. That you can see why Goodell and his people are, are pushing to push borders because they know their product will will stretch. I don't know if it'll stretch elsewhere because elsewhere in the world there are more important sports than American football. A lot of places it's soccer, so I don't think they'll take to the NFL as we do here in America. So he if he if he does stretch to London or any other country outside of America, he's gonna he's in for a rude awakening.
0: Absolutely, and uh, with that being said, uh, are you going to come and uh, hang out with me August 25th when the Dolphins play the Falcons in a preseason game here in Orlando?
1: Um, I, I've never been to a preseason game, and I don't plan on going to one, so I'm sorry, Mike, it's nothing against you, it's really just a preseason title to it, uh. but I from the oh the man
0: i appreciate that so much it's such a lie but i appreciate it so much and then and, and, <laughs> and about soccer for you guys watching soccer the u.s did uh did look actually pretty good last night uh winning four nothing in copa america so that was that was pretty good it was a much needed win after coming out and losing to Colombia. but anybody that watches soccer is not surprised we lost to Colombia. and uh june 10th starts the euro cup it's gonna be uh that's honestly if if you're a world cup fan the euro cup is is almost just as exciting only my minus a couple of South American countries, and obviously there's no America in it. But, uh, yeah, you know, I'm going to root for Italy. I don't know how much of a chance they have. Probably good money would would think of uh, Spain or Germany uh, winning it, and actually, hard to believe, a team like uh, the Netherlands did not even make it uh, to the Euros. So that's how good the competition is. So uh, I just wanted to fill you in with that uh, soccer bit of information. I know Mo was dying to hear about it.
1: Look at Mike delving into the real football in sports, I mean, think. I mean, we're going, we're going. Instead of the NFL going global, we're going global. We're giving you a little bit of American football. We're giving you a little bit of the real football. Telling you. And then, and then we're about to delve into boxing and UFC. Whew. So we've covered all the gamuts. We went from NBA. Next time we'll try to squeeze in a little NHL because I know the Stanley Cup Finals is going on. Even though it looks like the San Jose Sharks could be going home soon. Mm-hmm. Don't hate me, but uh, they're pretty much down. And and was probably win it, but if they're still in the next time we have a show, we'll, we'll, we'll give a shout out to the Sam's Lake Sharks, all the, all
0: the Penguins for that. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's probably going to be Pittsburgh, and I feel it's good for Sidney Crosby, you know, um, guy battled a lot of injuries the past couple of years, concussions that pretty much saw him set out two entire seasons, so you know, if he locks it up, then, you know, congrats to them, but we will wait and see. That is it for Building Momentum. We will be right back with the wrap-up, and we will talk uh, some Legends of the Ring. A wrap
1: up. Well most people Were aware of Muhammad Ali's Passing and rightfully So he was a legend He was an icon In our business I saw a very cool Photo with Muhammad Ali and uh, Jim Brown Picture basically Them shaking hands And exchanging Pleasantries And two that's, Those are two icons In the African American community Because they They span beyond Sports It's more than, than Just sports with them they're Yes they were great at in their sport, but outside of the ring, outside off the field, they're also great icons. A lot of people want to see LeBron James take that step, but maybe that's just not him. Albeit so, uh, Kimbo Slice also passed away, and he was huge in the Ultimate Fighting MMA type of realm. I remember watching Kimbo Slice. A friend actually called me over one day, and he said, "Look at this guy fighting without any pads." No, no, you know, uh, sanctions or anything. He's just out there beating people up in the yard on YouTube. And I had to look at this guy. I, I don't usually watch these things because I don't like to see two people beat each other to a bloody pulp. But this guy had something special, Kimball Slice. And when I saw him on the YouTube videos, I was like, this guy could be big. And at the time, USC MMA Ultimate Fighting was actually just coming up the ranks. As boxing started to die and Floyd Mayweather's career started to come to its tail end, USC's sprouted and you start seeing kimbo Kimball slice and he said he would take his talents to mma ufc he did took it into boxing he won a couple of fights yes he did have a, a, a steroid stint where he tested positive for a drug before his one of his last fights against that five five hundred or five thousand i believe and that happened and people spoke about it and said how can a guy like this struggle with with the heart issues at the age of 42 I won't speculate into his use on steroids because that wouldn't be right at this point in time, but it's it's worth noting what he did and how he transformed his life from being basically a bodyguard at a club and then going in and fighting people on, on YouTube to actually being on our TVs and headlining events, huge events in a sport that people are drawing to right now, again, boxing falling down the ranks. You got to give credit to Kimbo Slice. Pablo Toy of ESPN compared Kimbo Slice to Muhammad Ali in the sense that they were both transcendent icons in what they did. And Kimbo Slice, people have their differing opinions on his fighting style and his record. But what he did was extraordinary, especially at his age, because he didn't start this from a young age. He didn't didn't grow up saying, you know, I want to be a UFC fighter or an MMA fighter, because it didn't exist. And he basically created his own lane, which if you if you transcend that to other things, people try to try to create their own opportunities, and that's exactly what he did. So in his own right, he deserves to be remembered as as we begun the show, began the show, Muhammad Ali again, transcendent figure. I like to touch on the person versus more of the athlete. Muhammad Ali did, did a lot of things. I advise a lot of you to look at his interview with Barbara Walters when he spoke about basically just life. It was just beyond boxing. And she spoke about him. Um, she spoke to him and posed questions to him about death. And basically, he said, "If I knew I was going to die, basically, I would just do everything to serve the higher power to make sure I can go to heaven." And he also spoke about him. Um, he also spoke about himself, just being a protector and not an, an antagonizer outside of the ring. A lot of people think these boxers go out and they have these these lethal hands and they go out just beating people up just because they know they can. And he said, "I would never hit a person." Unless I really had to, which means defending my life or defending someone in my family, my kids, my wife, and you just gotta respect and honor someone like that. He also spoke on the Vietnam issue, saying he didn't want to go over there to kill people who didn't kill his family. He didn't like those people didn't do anything to him. Why should I go over there? And years after, it comes to the fact that it seems like Vietnam was a huge mistake on America's part, and for him to take that stand and not going to the armed forces, and lose his boxing license, and then to come back and regain the title. is just a whole story within itself. I saw the Ali movie with Will Smith. Obviously, I didn't live through Ali's real time in the 60s and 70s and 80s, but watching that movie kind of brought me back, and I went with my aunt at the time, who lived in that era, and, it, and she kind of filled in the context for me, and it was a great movie by Will Smith on Ali. His life is just a storybook ending from beginning to end. You got to respect it.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, to me, uh, you know, the idea of Muhammad Ali and and him is he's this fighter, you know, not not just in the sense that, you know, he was 56 and five at 37 knockouts. He was a fighter in the sense that at the age of 20, he was willing to do what nobody would pretty much do today, which was stand up for his beliefs and, and speak his mind. Uh, I mean, you how many 20 year olds do you know that would, would, would shun the government and would shun everything in popular culture to really, to, to speak their mind? Uh, and there's just, I mean, you would think like maybe a guy like Richard Sherman, but again, that's, that's what we have today. But we, we, I can only imagine what it was like to see this guy in his prime to really to really be a part of what exactly he stood for, regardless if, if you agreed with his beliefs about Vietnam or, you know, whatever his stance political might have been. It was still something that you, you have to almost take in and just awe-inspiring to a certain extent. But more on the fighter, I mean, this man was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease in 1984. I, that's a, That's a year after I was born. That was... 32 years this man lived with parkinson's disease that i i can't even imagine and i don't know i don't know i don't have the fact of the figure of the average lifespan of someone living with parkinson's but i've known people with parkinson's and god forbid they have not they've not lasted that long so it's just the will and determination of this man to continue the fight and it's really it's sad that a man that found so much and did so much with his eloquence and the way he spoke was stripped of that in his later years, that he was unable to speak. And it's just amazing. And maybe that's maybe that's part of the reason, you know, to get a little deep on you, that he did speak his mind at such an early age and he was something special with the way that he expressed himself because he couldn't do that later in life.
1: Yeah, absolutely. He spoke about heart and it was said that from his loved ones that were around him in his final moments that even after his organs and his body shut down, his heart continued to beat minutes after, which is insane, which is insane to see. But it's, it's just tough seeing a person like that who was so strong in his day, battle with Parkinson's and not be able to speak his mind as he's done in his younger years. And, and if you look at it back in the day, people view Muhammad Ali as a radical because he spoke, he spoke his mind. Basically he didn't, he didn't, pander to any group or community he was muhammad ali himself and and when he spoke out people either liked it or they hated it but now it seems like in today's community, in today's world society if an athlete speaks out beyond their sport it's like people, we treat them as if they they don't have a voice like you shouldn't be speaking out about world affairs you're you're an athlete you're a basketball player you're a football player you have no say and for, to see a player or an athlete do what Muhammad Ali did now, that would take a whole lot of courage. Because you know you're going to get the backlash from the people. You're going to get a lot of questioning, especially with social media the way it is now. The way people are finding their snarky voices on Twitter or Facebook or whatever. And then the noise coming from all the social media. Players would get, basically get chastised over and over again. I mean, LeBron gets chastised for the most dumbest things ever. Can you imagine if he took a real stance on something? How much people would speak out against it? it? It's just insane.
0: I can only imagine. You know, today's day and age. Obviously, we know the way things spiral out of control. What it was like in the nineteen sixties with civil mm-hmm. unrest and you know, uh, it just cities, inner cities, everything on on the precipice of just explosion. And and you know, you you look at someone the wrong way, or God forbid, say something that someone doesn't agree with, and the things that that transpired, and and yet. This man was not afraid of that. So uh, just, you know, wow, it's uh, an amazing life. And, you know, he was honored uh, with the renaming of, uh, I believe it was West 33rd Street right in front of uh, Madison Square Garden as Muhammad Ali uh, Way today. So that very impressive, you know, and that's a it's a classy thing to do by by the city of New York for a man that did a lot of great things in that city and had some amazing fights at MSG. So, you know, hands down, just all around amazing man. Someone that only, you know, certain types of people like that only come around once in a lifetime. And, uh, you know, I'm just glad that, you know, there's some footage that, you know, can be passed on for generations to come.
1: Right. And uh, before, before we wrap it up, we, we spoke about Muhammad Ali. We spoke about Kimbo Slice. They obviously from two different now considered sports and we talked about how UFC MMA is on the rise and boxing is kind of on the decline. Uh, I I personally feel that UFC MMA has taken over the number one one-on-one ultimate competitive sport in America. Whereas it was boxing because you had the Muhammad Ali's of the world, Jill Frazier's. And when I grew up, I was watching Tyson and Holyfield. And then you have Floyd Mayweather, and you had Oscar De La Hoya, Felix Trinidad. Now more people can name more UFC fighters than than boxers you know unless you really unless you're really into boxing hardcore the casual sports fan probably knows more MMA fighters now because now you got guys like Conor McGregor who are big names you got uh, Brock Lesnar going from WWE back to UFC he's supposed to have a fight at UFC 200 so you know that's going on then you had Ronda Rousey her undefeated streak so off the top of my head I'm just naming three guys even Daniel Cormier I watch Fox now and then He's an analyst, and he also gets in the ring. So, offhand, as far as boxers are concerned, Floyd, May- Floyd Mayweather has retired, and now you got what Triple G. You got the Klitschko brothers still maybe around somewhere, you know. But it's it's interesting how how the transition has gone from boxing to ultimate fighting in a cage.
0: Well, if you don't think that the Mike and Mo show is diverse, then uh, you're you're listening to the wrong to the wrong show because we're talking soccer. <laughs> or hand egg whatever you want to call football we're talking boxing baseball basketball we've got you covered so again episode 17 is in the books if you haven't gone on itunes if you haven't gone under the podcast and hit mike mo show and subscribe then i don't know what you're waiting for but go listen subscribe share it facebook.com slash mike and mosho twitter.com mike and mo show. Get on it, get all over it. We're uh, we're three likes away from five thousand on Facebook, so won't you be that five thousand like? Won't you please? I myself am headed to North Dakota to hang out with Carson Wentz tomorrow. Um, I don't know <laughs> if he'll be there or not, but I know one guy that will be, and I will report on that next week. Mo, before we sign off, anything else?
1: Before we sign off, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna shout Mike. I'm gonna embarrass him just a little bit. Mike is. If you don't if you guys aren't aware, don't know us very well, we're not just speakers, we're also writers. And and Mike put out a very good piece on on Mike Trout on what a trade to the Yankees would look like. Of course, he's in his fantasy land hoping <laughs> that Mike Trout could actually come there. Uh-huh. But his his piece is is getting worldwide attention. It's out there, it's on Bleach Report, it's being featured on there, and and he's he's a he's a great writer. If you want to know anything about Yankees, M O B. Mike's your guy as far as writing
0: Uh, That's too kind Mo I do appreciate the shout out And you know Big shout out to you For uh taking a young writer under a wing and uh you know exposing my uh my gift to everybody else because as we know Mo does fantastic things for not only empire writes back and and many other fan-sided sites but he's he's the raiders guy he's mr vegas as i hope to be calling him uh sometime next season but uh, I, I don't
1: want any part of the vegas strip club i just want to make that clear because i'm in a situation that i don't need to get myself in uh, trouble so he says no that now me, mm. no dances. i'll take the limo ride though but please <laughs> yeah. No
0: yeah yeah he says that now once he goes to vegas it's a different story but until then i'm michael andrillo he's Maurice moton that's episode 17 we'll be back next week episode 18 looking forward to it and uh you know i'm sure by then this whole lebron james not winning a title in cleveland thing will be sewing up right
1: yeah absolutely
0: and we'll be banging on kevin love once again <laughs> poor poor little kev regardless we'll talk to you next week have a have a safe week and of course thanks for tuning in